We've talked about how grace, God's grace, is greater than all of our needs. How He's greater than your past, your hurts, because sin is ugly and God wants to keep you, Satan wants to keep you bound by your past. And God came to free you, to unbind you from your past. We talked about how He's greater than your hurts. How those people who hurt you. How by offering forgiveness to those people, you can find the freedom. And we talked about a couple weeks ago how we began this three-part sub-series on He's greater than your circumstances and how He's more powerful than your disappointments. Those disappointments in your life, and God can overcome those disappointments. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about how God is greater than our weaknesses. He overcomes those weaknesses within us to make us in His image, to bring us on the line. His grace is greater than all these things. And today, we're going to talk about He's more awesome than your despair, more hopeful than your despair. And despair is one of those things that we don't want to talk about in the church because nobody's supposed to feel despair, right? You should all be joyful and cheery and happy all the time, all the time, all the time. But we know that sometimes despair creeps in. Some people are prone to despair. Some people are just, they look at you like, what is your problem? But sometimes it creeps in. Sometimes despair of life creeps in. Sometimes we just, Satan wants to use this emotion in our lives to keep us bound again in his power. If we allow ourselves to be bound by Satan, we, can't allow, we, we don't become more profitable to God's purpose in our lives, to being used in his ministry, to being used as he wants us to be used in our jobs and our communities. And God has brought us and he's designed us and he's empowering us to be used in our communities, in our families, in our jobs, to be used as his ministers and his hands and feet to those around us. And by being bound by our despair, being bound by our weaknesses, being bound by our, our old passions, being bound by our hurts, being bound by our, our weaknesses, all these other things, we can't be his hands and feet. And next week as we conclude this series on grace, we're talking about how God wants to be used through you, his grace being used through you. Once you've recognized these areas in your lives that Satan wants to keep you bound in, and we begin, we get the tools to push them aside, we now get the tools of God's grace being able to be worked through you in our communities, in our families, in those places where God has placed you to be His hands and feet and instruments of His grace all around us. So that's next week as we conclude. But today, we're talking about despair. And it's not something we normally talk about in church, is it? We want to think happy, cheerful thoughts. You know, the old Peter Pan thing. When you get this fear of pixie dust sprinkled on you, you can't fly until you have happy thoughts. But despair does not lead itself to happy thoughts. Despair leads itself to thoughts of self-loathing, thoughts of self-pity, thoughts of I can't do anything right or I can't be anything right, I can't be what God wants me to be because of whatever. So how would we define despair today? Despair is this overwhelming, suffocating sense that life is going nowhere. You ever feel that way? That you just, you're on this drive down the, high, on the highway of life and it's just 
going. It's like driving across Kansas. It just keeps going and keeps going. Y'all been there, right? It just keeps on going. Or, and, and Missouri's not any better. I can tell you, I've been across the whole stretch of I-70. It does not get any better until you get out of Missouri. <laughs> so all the way across, that's a long drive. It just keeps on going and going and going. Maybe you feel like you've given up on your marriage. You think, well, this is just what it is. Your job is going nowhere. You're in that dead end, nowhere, going nowhere job. But God, you put me in this job, and I just feel like I'm, I'm not going anywhere. It's just stuck. I'm not getting promoted. All my promotions are lateral. You know, there's no vertical promotions. Everything's lateral going from this office to this office to this office, and nothing's getting any better. Or you're never going to get a victory over that particular sin or temptation that you dealt with your whole stinking life. Anybody else there? It's, you fight it and you fight it and you fight it and it's like you never seem to get victory over it. Or maybe you're lonely. No prospects for the future. Maybe there's, you're lonely because nobody ever comes around. It's like, does ever, anybody ever remember that I'm here? Do they even know that I exist? Your health is getting the best of you and it doesn't ever seem to be getting any better. In fact, it seems to be going the opposite direction. All these things Satan can use in your lives to trick you into getting in this mode of despair and thinking, what am I going to do? You feel hopeless. The idea that it's bad today and tomorrow is just going to be worse. If that's you, welcome to the club. You're not alone. We'll call you Jeremiah today. See, that was Jeremiah's whole life. After he got called by God to serve as his prophet, that was his life. God says, I'm going to put my words in your mouth and everybody's going to hate your guts. Nobody's going to like what you have to say. Nobody's going to be your friend. You're going to be lonely. You're going to be decrepit. You're going to be cast out. I'm going to put you in prison for my sake. You're going to be in the worst place possible as my servant. Anybody want to join that club? <laughs> that's what God called Jeremiah to. And that's where we find ourselves this morning in the book of Lamentations as we're going to look and see Jeremiah is crying out to God. And you're thinking, Lama who? We're going to be what, what, what book of the Bible? That's, that's between Hezekiah and 1 David in the Old Testament. You find it. It's on page uh, 536 in my Bible. Lamentations is, is a series of Jeremiah crying out to God and saying, God, why have you put me in this situation? Why have you put me here? It's, he's living and proclaiming God's word. He's ignored by society, thrown into prison, and yet here he is serving God and saying, God, why? And he's crying out to God. And many of you may be in that same boat this morning. And I believe that God gave us this book. You notice that God didn't edit out this book. God could have very easily, when the canon was being put together, when the Bible was being put together, he could have impressed upon those who were pulling together all these sources and all these books and, 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 
he could have said, yeah, this one, none. No, we want to have happy, joyful books, happy words, happy thoughts. Zephaniah, where it's all happy and dancing and God's coming all day long. But yet God chose to leave this book in here. Think about this. God chose to leave this book in here so that we could learn from the frustrations of one of his prophets. Five chapters. Each one, 22 verses, except for chapter 3 we're going to look at this morning. Each, one, each verse corresponds to a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, except for chapter 3, which is 66 verses. There's three verses in each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which basically shows us that Jeremiah is describing his suffering from A to Z. Okay? If we were to do it in our alphabet, there'd be 26 verses in each one. And then a bunch more in chapter 3. I'm not going to try to multiply it out this morning. You can figure that out. You're smart. All our homeschoolers, you have to figure it out in about two seconds, but we'll go over that. From A to Z, Jeremiah is describing his suffering. That's what Lamentation is all about. A book of laments. A book of, God, I feel awful. God, why have you put me here? God, why am I enduring this? And look with me in chapter 3 this morning as we read the joyful words of Jeremiah. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Driven. You know what that is? You're driven by God. It's like, being, it's like driving a herd of cattle, driving the, the snakes out of your yard, drive, trying to drive the mice out of your house. You're trying to do whatever you can. You're driving him. You're driving him, pushing him ahead. And he says, I have been driven and brought into darkness without any light. You ever been any place without any light? I don't mean during the eclipse, because we didn't experience that here. My brother spent a period of time in Finland going to school in Finland. And during the winter time in Finland, or our friends that live in Alaska, up there north of the Arctic Circle, or down south of the Antarctic Circle, in our summertime, their winter, it's just pitch black for months. They have the highest, highest time of suicide in Finland during the winter months. It's just depressing. My brother came back after being in Finland for a semester, and he was just dark, no smiles. It really affected him, the darkness there and the people there. But I digress. He has driven and brought me, verse 2, into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in the darkness like the, like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. And though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones and he has made my paths crooked. He is like a bear lying in wait for me, like a lion in hiding. What's the image of God that you like to imagine? The bear lying in wait, the lion lying in wait for hiding for you? What's the image of God that you like to imagine? This is Jeremiah talking. This is how he feels. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. 
He has bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. Hello. Anybody want to be a target for God's arrow? Not only that, he says, he drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. Ouch. This is a man crying out, saying, God, why? Verse 14, I have become a laughingstock for all peoples. The object of their taunts all day long, he has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. Or in New Testament, gall. A very bitter herb. Bitter tea. Verse 16. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. And look at this. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Should we just stop right there? <laughs> Anybody want to go home and have a good time? Go have a nice cry on your pillow? This is Jeremiah, the prophet of God, crying out and saying, God, what are you doing? See, what this tells me is that God's shoulders are huge. He can handle your doubts, and He can answer your questions. God can take all that you're throwing at Him, and He can handle it. Because here's Jeremiah laying it all out there very honestly, very openly, saying, God, I feel this way. You know, sometimes we feel our emotions get the best of us. Sometimes we feel this way, don't we? We look at the world around us. We look at what's going on. Our marriage, our health, our job, all around us seems to be falling apart. And we feel guilty for saying, God, why? You want to raise your fist in God and say, God, why is this happening to me? This tells me that God's able to take whatever we throw at him. He's able to answer our questions. He was able to take us. His shoulders are huge. Remember the old Duracell commercial back in the 70s, I think, the 70s and 80s? It was a Robert Redford put the Duracell battery in young, young kids. You won't remember this. He put the Duracell on his shoulder. He goes, I dare you. Knock it off. You know, and God says, my shoulders are huge. I dare you. Take the challenge. Take the challenge. Even in the Psalms, David is crying out, say, God, why? And you look at his, his readings in the Psalms, and you're like, this doesn't seem like a man of faith. This doesn't seem like how a man of faith ought to act, crying out and even casting some blame on God, appearing to cast blame and say, God, you're like this lion. You're like this bear. What are you doing to me? And God says, don't worry. I can take your doubts. I can take your questions. Is this not a sin to doubt what's going on? It's not a sin to question. God allows us to come to him openly like this. See, it's God is, Jeremiah is saying here, God is cursing me, my hope is gone. He's like this bear who mauls me. See, our no struggle in your life, if you have no struggle going on in your life, what kind of faith does that lead us? A very shallow faith. It's not the one who, it's not the one who has no problems going on in their life at all that has this perfect, wonderful faith. It's the one who struggles and gets through that struggle. And you come out on the other side and you go, God is awesome! You've gone through the struggle. You've gone through all the tribulations. You've gone through everything that's been thrown at you by Satan. And God's allowed you to go through that. 
And you come out on the other side like Jeremiah or like David or some of these others in Scripture that we admire. And you come out and you go, in spite of all of this, my God was there. In spite of all the struggle, in spite of all the despair, in spite of all the weaknesses, in spite of all the disappointments, in spite of all the hurts, and all that I had to go through in my past, God sustained me through this and brought me through this. And you come out on the other side with a faith that is strong and that you can now share with others and you can work through in God's ministry in your life. See, write this down. Real faith grows out of honestly expressed doubt. I heard this a couple weeks ago. That's not original with me. Real faith grows out of honestly expressed doubt. Okay? What that means. You really want the answers. You come to God and you say, why? You're not just casting blame for the sake of casting blame. Your faith grows as you come before God and you say, God, help me to understand. Help me to come through this. Give me the strength to overcome because I can't do it on my own. This despair I'm going through, this frustration I'm going through, this anger, this anxiety, whatever it is, God, I need your help to overcome. Honestly expressed doubt. That's the key word there. In fact, I would say you may even want to go so far as making up your own lamentation. Okay? I mean, be honest with God. Write it down. If you're frustrated and angry with God, if you're frustrated and angry about your life, go home and write it down. Say, God, why? And you do like Jeremiah. Just five chapters here of Jeremiah saying, God, I'm a little questioning. I'm a little ticked off about some stuff. I mean, mean, don't make it like the positive, encouraging. God's like a bald bear who mauls me. Be honest and open with God. It's not a cheap, shallow faith that we live that God has called us to. God has called us to, to a deep faith that loves Him and that yearns for Him and desires Him and dr- is driven by Him. Suffering is, is not a problem. God works in us through our suffering. By love, we can turn the page. And Jeremiah doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with this throwing up on God's shoulders. In my Bible, I turn the page. I don't know about you guys. I like that, though, that was there. Verse 21. Probably one of the greatest transitions in the Bible. Jeremiah writes, But... This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Sounds like a song we sing from time to time, doesn't it? You ever wonder where that came from? Now you know. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. 
Learn these lessons early in life. Jeremiah says, but this I call to mind. There's two responses here. One, some people may say, well, bless God, He's just enough. God's enough. That's all you need. Just, just endure it and get through it. God's enough. Or they may say, hang on, God's working. He'll turn your tragedy into triumph. Both those responses are good. Both of those responses kind of miss the point a little bit. You hear those a lot. Well, brother, God's good. Just endure it. Just get through it. Or hang on. He's going to turn your tragedy into triumph. Just wait and see. Just get through it. I love what he says in verse 24. He says, The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Do you hear that? He doesn't say, My job is my portion. My relationship is my portion. He says, God is my portion. What a great confession of faith. The, the struggles you're going through, all those things you have to endure, to sit back and say, God, you are the portion that I need. Think of it like a pie. Thanksgiving's coming up. Pie's in my mind. Good old pumpkin pie, cranberry. No, not cranberry pie. Apple pie, minced meat pie, all these yummy things that are coming up. Getting ready to put on another 50 pounds between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Imagine that pie sliced up. Six or eight, ten pieces, twelve pieces. One, one piece is your health. One piece is your job. One piece is God's grace on your life and your relationships. Another piece is God's grace in your life and, and whatever else that you're going through. Jeremiah says, this pie is God's grace shown to me. He is my portion. He is all I need. He is all I need. He is my portion. And I will hope in Him. He has given me all these things in my life. Even though I may not be able to see it right now, He is the provider of all of these things. So it's not just enduring and getting through. It's recognizing that God wants you to exist and He wants you to succeed right here, right now, today. Habakkuk 3, 17, 19 says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds on the stalls. Sounds exciting, right? Verse 18, Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord my God, the Lord is my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountains heights. In spite of all the frustrations, in spite of all that is going around, the fig tree is not blooming, my, my fields are gone bare, the sheep are gone out of the pens, I've lost it all. Can you imagine Job? I've lost it all, and yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Statements of faith like this saying, in spite of all that's going on around me, God, I know that you're working something wonderful in my life. I know that you are doing something great in my life, and I'm trusting that you are going to reveal yourself in due time. God's timeline is not our timeline, folks. 
in his own time. He will reveal his purposes. He will reveal his plans for us. And he will bring us out stronger when we go through the struggle. I'm not saying the struggle is fun. Anybody else think struggle is fun? Not me. I'd much, in my own humanity, I'd like it to be just this nice utopia. Everything's going smoothly. Have these perfect children, perfect wife, perfect job, perfect church, every perfect community around me, perfect job, perfect health, perfect hairline. You know, we would all like these perfect things in our lives, and yet God says, no, sorry, because it's in the struggle that your faith is strengthened. See, Jeremiah is saying here, God is enough, period. And then the flip side of that coin is verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. God is good. God is enough. Wait patiently for those, for God's goodness. Because God is bringing salvation to you right here, right now on this earth. We don't have to wait. God's, he's not saying, if you just hold on till you die, it'll all be good. There's fun. You want to struggle and endure your whole life? God says, no. It's Psalm chapter 88. Actually, verse, Psalm 27, 13. He says, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness. Where? In the land of the living. Those who just say, just endure until you're dead. Just endure until heaven. I've missed the point that God wants you to succeed right here and right now. You are struggling right here, right now, yes. But God's going to get you through that. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a light and it's not a train coming to hit you. There's a light at the end of the tunnel and God is there saying, come to me, come to me. Just keep coming, just keep coming. At the end of the tunnel, you will find joy in the land of the living, Psalm 27 says. That's an awesome verse. This means that we don't, God doesn't want us just to endure until we see him face to face in heaven. It means right here, right now on this earth, he wants us to succeed. Right here, right now, he wants us to become strong. Right here, right now, he has so much in store for us. Psalm 88. We can agree with the psalmist when he says, his mercies are new every morning. Not tomorrow morning. Not the next tomorrow morning. His mercies are new in our lives every single morning. That's the kind of God I want to follow. That's the kind of God I want to get me through when I'm frustrated and angry. So then the question comes, why does God allow us to go through these? <laughs> I know it's a question everybody asks. God, Why? Why? I'm there with you. We could, when we say, well, if, if I could just see what God is doing in my darkest hour, then I could make it. Let me tell you what God's doing in your darkest hour. Number one, He's pursuing His agenda in your life. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living, Psalm 27 says. Right here, right now, his agenda in your life to bring salvation on earth for you. We can see the end of the story. Jeremiah can't, couldn't see it. He was going through it. We know the end. We have the whole written word of God. We know where God is going. We can see the end. 
his agenda on this earth, we can see where it's going. And we are a part of his agenda. Secondly, he's purifying your heart. Think of your life as a movie. And guess what? You are not the star. You are in a very minor supporting role. Guess who the star is? God. Jesus. He is, and, and, and your life is a movie, and you're moving through it, but the supporting, you're as a supporting role, and God is working, He's working, He's working, He's working in your life. I'm living the life of David. The life of David Edder. But yet it's not about me. It's about what God is doing in me. It's about how God is transforming me. It's about how God is growing my faith. It's about how God is making me more than I can be by myself. And I'm just along for the ride. You know, and that's the best place to be. When you recognize that God is moving and directing and allowing these things in your life and these frustrations in your life and these agonizing things in your life because He is molding and shaping you into His image, into that person He wants you to be so that you can be the greatest impact in your society for Him that you can be. It lets you endure. You can see and you can walk, keep walking toward that light. You keep walking toward that light. You keep walking toward that light. And you let God work in your heart. See, it's not about seeking my kingdom. It's about seeking the kingdom of God first, Matthew says. And that's the question you ask yourself. Am I living for God's kingdom or mine? Am I living for God's kingdom or mine? In fact, the first commandment says, you shall have what? No other gods before me, and that includes us. Whose kingdom are we serving? Am I serving my kingdom? God's kingdom. Thirdly, he's preparing you for ministry. He is allowing these things in your life to prepare you for ministry, to prepare you for something greater than yourself. I love what A.W. Tozer, author and theologian, he says, for God to use you greatly, he must wound you deeply. For God to use you greatly, he must wound you deeply. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be wounded. I don't like to have to go through that. But on the other end of that, when God goes, God wounds you and then he patches you up, and then he wounds you and he patches you up, for God to use you greatly, he gets you through that. He lets you, allows you to be wounded deeply. And maybe that's a family member. Maybe that's a job. Maybe it's health. Whatever it is, God has taken you through. And even Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he talked about all those things that he had to go through. All those things he had to go through in his life. All those frustrations and anger. The people in Corinth, they didn't view him as a real apostle. So he came out and he said, well, here's what I've gone through. Shipwrecks and stonings and this and that and the other. And I've endured for Christ's sake. I've endured for the sake of the gospel. So then, what do we do in the midst of our despair? How do we endure? Two things. Take control of your self-talk. 
Remember what Jeremiah wrote in 321? But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's easy to talk negatively. It's easy to have that negative speak all the time. And for some of us, it comes easier than others. That's how we're built. That's how we're, God designed us. But we can overcome that speaking to acknowledge that God, you are taking me through this for a purpose, and I call this to mind, great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning, and that's where I want to live. Write this down. You can't control what you remember, but you can choose what you call to mind. You can't control what you remember. Sometimes things just pop up, right? But you can choose what you call to mind. And it's those things that we call to mind which are regularly taking us down one road or another. We can choose to call to mind God's mercies. We can choose to call to mind God's faithfulness. We can choose to call to mind what God has done in us and through us. We can choose to call to mind all those things which lead us down the road to despair. And when things pop up and you remember things, that maybe God, Satan is trying to lead you down that road and you, trying to get you to dwell on them? Because it's not the remembering, it's the problem. It's the dwelling. It's the dwelling. It's the dwelling on those things over and over and letting them just fester inside your mind. Instead of getting off of that road and then calling to mind the mercies and the faithfulness of God in your life and what he's done. Self-talk this to yourself. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And great is His faithfulness. What a great verse to keep in mind. Put that on your, on your dashboard of your car when you're in that wonderful rush hour traffic. Put that on your mirrors. Put that in your cubicle. Put that wherever you need to remind yourself to remember God's faithfulness. Secondly, just keep on reading. I don't know about you guys, but my girls are voracious readers. When uh, Lee just got a t-shirt, it says, I like to party, and by party I mean reading books. And that is my girls. If we let them, they would be reading, well, maybe not 24-7, because they have to find some time to sleep. But of, 16, of the 16 hours they're awake, probably 15 and a half hours would be spent reading, and the other 30 minutes just eating and <laughs> wolfing down their food, if we let them. When I was in fourth or fifth grade, I read The Hobbit for the first time. It's a longish book, and I loved The Hobbit. I got all the way to the end, and my favorite two characters were in the book were Feely and Keely, the little young elves, and they had these big old tall ears, and they were described so wonderful. And I got to the end, and they got to the battle, and, the, and they didn't have a good ending. What if I'd stopped there? What if I gotten scared as I got to the mountains and, oh, they've been taken by the orcs. What's going to happen? And just closed the book and set it aside and gotten scared to finish the book. But instead, I picked it up and I kept reading. 
And got to another part was scary and put it, opened it up back up and I kept reading and I kept reading and I kept reading. Because at the end, you find the happy ending. This is not a Korean story which ends very sadly. We, we, we love Korean movies, Korean dramas. And I read over another country this week too, Irish, Irish movies, Irish um, books, that kind of stuff. They all have sad endings for some reason. I like the happy ending in The Hobbit. It all came together for the end. But what if I had stopped halfway through? What if I had stopped halfway through and, and just put it down and go, oh, I can't take it anymore? Instead of just reading, getting to the end. Romans 8. Turn to Romans 8 for a second, if you would. This idea of just getting on and understanding what God has got for you. Romans chapter 8. Awesome. As we look for God's purposes, verse 18. He says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning under the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 22, verse 28. Two key words in each verse. We know. For we can know that God is working on our behalf. For we know that life is hard. We know that God is good. Not just a knowledge of, oh yeah, I know two plus two is four. Or, yeah, I know I got to get up in the morning and get dressed for church. Or, yeah, I know that uh, the light's on in my car and I got to get gas for it. This is a knowledge that's absolute unshakable confidence in what God is doing in our lives. I know that life is hard. The Bible says it. We experience it. And I know that God is good. I know this. I have this unshakable confidence in my faith. Does it, happen, does it come naturally? Does it happen just by, bing, I'm a Christian, and now I know these things? Because you struggle and you get through it, and as you come out on the other side, your, strength is, your faith is strengthened, almost as your strength is faithened. Your faith is strengthened, and you come out with this unshakable confidence about who God is and what he's doing in our lives. I can know 
and I can trust. And so when you come alongside someone else who's struggling themselves, guess what? You can say to them, we can know that God is good. We can know that this is not all there is for life. We can know that you're going to get through this and endure. We can know. And we can put our arms around and say, I've been there. I've been where you're at. I know life is hard, but God is good. As we finish up this morning, a couple of final statements. You can know God's grace is working in your pain to draw you closer to Jesus. You can know this. Your pain is not just pain for pain's sake. God is working through your pain, through your struggles to draw you closer to Jesus. Number two, you can know that God's grace is working in your pain to make you more like Jesus. That's our goal, is to become more righteous, to become more holy, to become more sanctified, to become more like Jesus. And lastly, trust the mercies of God every morning because they are new every morning. Tomorrow's another day. And God's mercies are waiting for you there. God's mercies are waiting for you today. If you're going, if you're battling with despair, you're battling with your weaknesses, you're battling with your disappointments, you're battling with your hurts, you're battling with your past, there's freedom in Christ. There's freedom in His grace. There's freedom found at the foot of the cross today. You don't have to go through it alone. You don't have to endure this and thinking, is this all that my life is? God is there. The light at the end of the tunnel. I Walk to that light. Walk to that light. Get there. As quickly as you can. Knowing that the struggle is along the way. But God is waiting at the end.